I wasn't planning on it uh, this last week at Good Shepherd Bible Camp, but the way that circumstances ended up playing out, I found myself leading a group of 50 hikers and other leaders up to the top of Mount San Gorgonio. And what it made me appreciate was how much planning that actually involves. I had been up one time previously, and we didn't summit, but to me, as I was just following and being told what to do, it seemed relatively easy. When you are the one that is planning and helping others prepare to make it up to the top, you realize how much effort is required. And you are concerned about making the right plans to make sure that everybody has more than enough water and snacks and food to keep them fueled to make it not just all the way up, but all the way back down. There are certainly a number of things that you would not want to forget when it comes to planning. Today, as we we look at this individual named Abimelech, there is also an aspect of planning that we never want to forget, and that is that we don't exclude God from our plans. We've looked at two judges already, Deborah and Gideon. And it stands out that, that both of them involved God in the accounts of judges. Deborah sp- or God rather spoke through Deborah and relayed to Barak that, that he was to go to war and that he would have victory. God appeared to Gideon and gave him very clear directions as well. Abimelech is different. God doesn't appear to Abimelech. And neither, neither does Abimelech seek out God. And so as we focus on some key takeaways in this book of, of Judges, as much as the overall book reflects uh, the spiritual dumpster fire that was God's people at that time, the Israelites, this is a very focused look at what happens when God's not a part of the plan. See, Abimelech wasn't really interested in seeking out God's plans or his purposes. Now, we'll get to that, but before we pursue that and and dig into the account a little bit more, I, I think it's important that we address what many of us have recognized in this life. And it is that sometimes God appears to to bless and be favorable to even non-believers. And believers, on the other hand, seem to bear one burden after another. And I think we have to highlight that because we don't want to walk away this morning with drawing the conclusion that if God is always a part of my plans, then, then my life will be a dream. And if he's not, then it will only be a nightmare. Sometimes we ask ourselves, well, how, I, I just can't imagine how non-believers live without God. But we've also expressed and, and felt that sometimes they seem to have it better off than we do. So do not walk away with this idea today that so long as God is a part of our plans, then our life will be a a dream. It's simply not true. In fact, God makes it clear why sometimes he chooses to bless and and favor, though maybe we wouldn't use the word bless, but he's, he's good and he's generous even to unbelievers. And his purpose is the same, to work for their eternal good. And he can do that in two ways. He may be kind and generous and good to a non-believer for the purpose of that non-believer realizing that out of being overwhelmed by everything that he or she has, that somebody must be the source of all of this goodness, which would then lead them to seek out God. 
The Bible talks about God's loving kindness leading others to repentance. So sometimes that can be the reason that he is good to even non-believers, to lead them to repentance and ultimately faith. Another reason that is clear in Scripture is that when God allows an individual to have every earthly or worldly blessing, the hope and the prayer is that realizing even though they would have everything this world would have to offer, that they would conclude they're still missing something. So that along with with Solomon in Ecclesiastes, they'd realize that everything is meaningless if the Lord is not a part of that, that picture. And it's important to distinguish as we get into the importance of making sure that God is a part of our plans because this is not a a blank slate. This isn't a clear promise from God that as we include him in our plans, everything is going to work out beautifully. Nonetheless, he does promise something to you and me. He does give a general truth that applies to a very real promise that Jesus made in Matthew 6, 33. As we look at and you hear these familiar words of Jesus, Matthew 6.33 tells us, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So God may choose to favor and be good to both non-believer and believer alike, but there are always going to be a certain spiritual blessing. There are always going to be good things that God holds out only to those who are his spiritual blessings. Now to Abimelech, he wasn't really interested in those. When we are introduced to Abimelech, it's very clear that right from the start, he was selfish. He didn't really have an interest in seeking out God's will or his wishes or carrying them out. In fact, he had in mind exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to make a power play, and he had in mind to plan exactly how he was going to carry it out. And it's interesting, and again, in contrast to the previous judges, when we're introduced to Abimelech, God isn't even a part of the dialogue. It's not even a part of the conversation until somebody else rebukes Abimelech. And that lack of God in Abimelech's life is reflected in his his downfall. But it all started out with his selfish start, his desire to achieve power. And his plan was laid out for us as we already heard it in Judges chapter 9. In verse 2, he went to the people of Shechem and he said, Ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you to have all 70 of Jeroboam's, Gideon's, sons rule over you, or just one man? Remember, I am your flesh and blood. So he demonstrates that he's politically savvy. Just using the rational argument, it would be pretty confusing, wouldn't it, to to have all of the brothers have to decide and determine uh, who's in charge and who's overseeing what? Wouldn't it be much simpler to just have one of us oversee you? And, And who a better candidate than me? The son of the concubine, the one concubine of Gideon from Shechem. I'm your flesh and blood. I'm one of you. Why not just put me in charge? So we see the selfish start that Abimelech demonstrated. Have you ever experienced that that same selfishness where things kind of get off on the wrong foot right from the get-go? You realize, don't you, that, that just by virtue of your label, your title of being a Christian doesn't magically mean that that God's guidance, his counsel, his wisdom 
are always going to, to be with you if you don't seek them out. See, a person can be a Christian, have complete confidence, faith, trust in Jesus, and know that home, their home is, is in heaven, and yet still not seek out God's guidance, his will, his wishes for their daily living. They may even know what God wants, but that's different, isn't it, than carrying it out, than implementing it. And when there's a gap there, we often see the impact of that. So when it comes to making God a part of, of our plans, consider the Christian who has been offered a, a job or has the opportunity to relocate, but who has never given a second thought to whether or not there's a, a church family nearby to continue to feed his or her faith. Has that person really made God a part of the plans? Or the Christian who is more concerned about attention or, or, or being the funny individual that, that the words and actions that dishonor God are, are quickly swept aside. Is that individual really giving thought to, to God as they speak and act in such a way? Or even when it comes to planning, and we plan first and pray second, and that's the normal order of things. Is, is that not backwards? Rather than praying for guidance and seeking God's counsel and wisdom, have we really made God a part of our plans or really have we approached him as just that stamp of approval that we're seeking to validate the choice that we have already made, which is really what we want to do and not so much what, what God would direct us to do. Those things have consequences, don't they, when we start selfishly, when we put ourselves first and, and disregard God and our plans. And we see exactly how that played out. Doesn't it often seem that things so quickly go from bad to worse? when God is not a part of our plans. That's what happened with Abimelech. He started out selfishly, and then the result of that was godless gain. From a worldly perspective, it seemed like things were going well. He had garnered the support of the people of Shechem, and they showed their support with their pocketbooks. They went to the, the temple treasury, not God's temple, but their heathen pagan temple of Baal, and they withdrew money, and they gave it to Abimelech. And you know what he did with that money? He went out and he hired thugs to be his followers. It wasn't as if people were clamoring after him because he was such an honorable, upstanding, good guy that they wanted to follow him. He was putting together a gang, running a criminal organization. He paid people to push others around, and that's exactly what they did. But it got worse. It wasn't just a matter of bullying or being mean or some scare tactics. He actually put out a hit on all of his brothers. And to his shame, did you notice where he did it? At dad's house. At his own father's house. He turned a stone into a slaughterhouse and gave the executive order to execute all of his brothers. And only one, Gideon's youngest son, Abimelech's youngest, his little brother, is the one who escaped. Jotham. So not only had he put together this, this gang, this band of thugs, but on top of it, he added murder to his criminal record. We recognize what happens too, how quickly things go from bad to worse. When you make the decisions that we, we talked about earlier, what are the consequences of not giving second thought to, 
to if I'm relocating or taking a job offer somewhere new and I haven't thought about a church. It can happen, God forbid, not for eternity, but even for a season of life that we find how easily we drift from God if we are not connected to his, his church and his people. And the more inclined I am to, to be more concerned about uh, getting a, a, a laugh or having people's uh, acclaim or praise, you notice how that line blurs and sin isn't so black and white anymore. It's, it's more of a gray and I find myself defending those words and actions that dishonor God. And when I, when I plan first and then pray, is it any wonder that, that life seems to never work out for me? I have in mind exactly what I do and I ask God to bless it and I, I make these plans and then I pray and again and again and again, things just don't seem to work out. Well, they didn't for Abimelech either. His, his selfish start and his godless gain ended pretty sad note, didn't they? Ended on a pretty sad note. You don't have all of the account, but we do have the prophecy that Jotham, his youngest brother who escaped, gave. The, the story about all of the trees. And it's amazing, isn't it, how literally God brought that prophecy to fulfillment. We shouldn't be shocked or surprised that the people that Abimelech won over were also people who quickly turned against him. God raised up another individual. The scripture tells us that this was God's deliberate doing. This man named, and you don't have it in the accounts that's recorded for us just because of length, but go and read those verses in between Judges chapter 9 and you're introduced to this individual named Gaal. And they suddenly put their support behind this individual who was bad-mouthing Abimelech. Well, he wouldn't have any of it. Eventually, the two of them went to war. Abimelech handed him a sound defeat. And the people are off running. And you heard of the atrocities that followed. The people of Shechem, they held up in, in a tower, ironically, a tower that was the very same heathen temple from which they withdrew money to initially support Abimelech, and he burned them to the ground, thousands of men and women. And quite literally, God's prophecy from Jotham came true, that fire would consume them. But that wasn't the end of the story for Jotham. He, com he continued, he pursued and pressed on to the next city and had plans, intentions to do the very same thing. The people there, they held up in another tower and as he was about to burn it down to the ground, a woman throws a millstone over the edge and it cracks his skull, resulting ultimately in his death. Just as things didn't work out so well for Abimelech when God's not a part of our plans, we recognize how often that is true in our lives as well. And yet the fact that, that we are here today, is that not a, a testament that God's grace has been and continues to work behind the scenes despite the number of times that our plans have not included him in any way whatsoever? God doesn't operate with us or toward us the same way that we so often do with each other. When we consider plans and, and when we do something thoughtful for somebody else and expect it to be reciprocated. When you send out a Christmas card to somebody and you assume you expect you'll get one from them in return or you send it out only because you got one from them. When we are kind or thoughtful for, towards somebody else and we kind of expect that when the opportunity arises they'll do the same for us. Thank goodness that God does not operate the same way 
that God did not determine, well, I'm only going to involve them in my plans if they keep me in theirs. That's grace. That's grace that even though God is so often an afterthought in our plans, he never swayed from including us in his. And Jesus is the proof of that. that. That long before any of us were ever around, God from eternity laid out his plan for forgiveness and salvation even for those, for you, for me, who only think of God after the fact. And he cemented that plan through the person and work of Jesus. And what a stark contrast from Abimelech. Abimelech raised himself up to a position of authority. Jesus lowered himself, humbled himself. Abimelech, uh, he appealed to flesh and blood, said to his brothers and sisters in Shechem, I'm one of you. Put me in charge. Jesus became our flesh and spilled his blood to pay for our sins and forgive us for not including him in so much of our lives and our plans. And not only that, but he continues to give us his body and blood in the very sacrament of communion to assure us that beyond the shadow of a doubt, he has, he continues to include us in his plans and assure us that we are forgiven. And that as a result of that forgiveness, we are at peace with God, we have hope, we have joy we have every reason to include him in our plans. Think about that for, for a moment as we consider this account of Abimelech and we apply God's planning toward us. If God was resolute in including you in his plan of salvation and carrying that out, don't you think if from this point on that your plans would also be more blessed if they included him. Amen.